This is the Working Drummer Podcast, featuring conversations with ground-level pros from all styles and regions. Real drummers with real stories about making a living in music. Hey everyone, this is Matthew Kraus, and you are listening to the podcast Working Drummer. Today my guest is author, musician, screenwriter, and advocate Rob Rufus. Rob is the recipient of the American Library Association's prestigious Alex Award. His literary debut, Die Young With Me, was named one of the best books of the year by Hudson Booksellers and is currently being developed as a major motion picture. His follow-up, The Vinyl Underground, was named one of the Junior Library Guild's gold standard selections. He lives with his dog in East Nashville, Tennessee. You can catch him on the road with his bands, The Bad Signs, or Blacklist Royals. If you're interested in supporting what Zach and I do here at the podcast, you can become a Patreon member. Find us at patreon.com slash working drummer. Any donation in any amount gets you access to exclusive content that's provided by our former guests. This content covers a variety of topics, but it's all educational and applicable to the working professional. If Patreon isn't your thing, you can make a one-time donation through PayPal, and you can find links to both of these things on our homepage at workingdrummer.net. And while you're there, you can find out more about this episode and the over 300 episodes that we've done over the years. And no matter what your platform of choice is for listening to podcasts, giving us a like, a rating, and review always helps us grow. Many thanks to my friend, songwriter, and producer Jim Riley for connecting me with Rob. Uh, Rob's story is pretty amazing. In preparation for our interview, I got a chance to get a hold of his first book, Die Young With Me, and it was a captivating read. As you'll hear in our conversation, I really enjoyed it, but it takes you back to that time when you really are getting excited about discovering new music and finding your voice. And uh, not only does Rob find his voice as a drummer and a punk rock musician, he finds his voice as an author, and he does it so well. Uh, I encourage you to check out Die Young with me, even go online, just read a couple excerpts from it. Um, his writing is is really amazing. Uh, and, you know, it's a little left to center for us to get into talking with someone that's an author, but, you know, Rob is also a musician and a drummer and has a story that I really feel strongly that we all can relate to. And I'm really excited to, to bring his story to you. I hope you enjoy this conversation with Rob Rufus. It's really only been since like the last couple years that I've really like embraced drumming as like, uh, I mean, I'm a punk rock drummer. So like, uh, and I was always like a so- song writing songs and stuff too. 
So I always like thought about that sometimes more than the actual drumming. And it's been like after this pandemic, I don't know, like full on. I was gotten in there playing every day, like just more than just the set, you know, really trying to up my my uh, up my drumming game. And like some of those interviews have really been insightful, man. Oh, that's great. That's great. I think one of the things that uh, appealed to me is the kind of multifaceted things that you've gotten involved in and the ways that you found to be creative. And I never realized how many drummers there are out there when we first started this podcast and how many people yeah. it's been, it's been mind boggling uh, to think of all the people, but, and, and everyone has a, a unique story and, our listeners and myself included discover that there's just more than one way to earn a living, live your life, find creative ways uh, yeah. to have an outlet to do things. And so when I have an opportunity to speak to someone like you, I'm like, man, I almost don't want to talk about drums. I want to talk about. All yeah, that's that. cool. That's cool with me, man. Like, honestly, <laughs> I, I, I'm stuck. I'm stuck to talk about anything. Really. <laughs> I, I really do. Just uh, appreciate you having me on, man. Yeah, yeah. Uh, when so for our listeners, just to give them a little bit of uh, background, when we uh, we have a mutual friend, Jim Riley, uh, who was on the podcast. Now, we've had two Jim Rileys. There's the drummer, and then there's the, the producer and songwriter, Jim Riley. That's <clears throat> what we're talking about. That is our mutual yeah. connection. And Jim has been a good friend of mine for years, and uh, he's reached out to me. He has also been a guest. He's obsessed with, you know, Ringo and <laughs> the Who and all this is wonderful when we first started. So thank big thanks to him for connecting us. And yeah. he uh um when we were, we were gonna schedule something and, and we couldn't do it. We couldn't and so we had to kind of bump this back. And I'm like, man, I don't have his first book and I wanna dig into that. So it gave me an opportunity to go ahead and get the book and read it. And I thought, well, I'll just know a little something. And man, I, I was captivated by it. I really enjoyed reading it. It was one of those books that uh, I, I couldn't put down for sure and uh, really enjoyed it and then was excited to pass it along. And yeah, I actually bought two copies and, and <laughs> gave them to, gave one to my niece, gave one to a friend of mine's daughter. And I, it, it, can you, can we talk about just a little bit about this book? So the, it's yeah, the yeah. first book that you wrote is that correct yeah it is and uh i appreciate you saying all that man i really do um yeah it's uh it's called Diane with me and it's a memoir about it's like a coming of age memoir about um my brother and i growing up in rural west virginia and discovering punk rock and starting a punk band and um i played drums because i we were the only people with a basement <laughs> and um, um, <laughs> and, and the punk band actually got some traction and got invited out on Warp Tour when I was like 17. And then um, uh, like a couple weeks later, I got diagnosed with stage four cancer. And um, so that wasn't fucking ideal, obviously. And um, 
So for the next few years, I, I kind of lived in hospitals and my brother, you know, we've, we decided that the band should continue on doing that. And so he went and toured and started doing all this cool stuff. And I, and I, you know, I was undergoing cancer treatment, chemo, radiation, and then they did a surgery to try to remove the tumor in my chest and ended up having to remove my entire right lung. So I kind of had to learn to walk again and then breathe again well enough to like play drones again. Um, So, so the book covers kind of all that and just, uh, you know, my brother and I are twins. So like it was a very kind of surreal time because it was the first time our lives had really ever diverged. And um, so it's kind of about that. And then uh, us coming back together through music. And that is the arc of the book, but you're not spoiling anything. It is so enjoyable the way you describe things. And um, I, I encourage anybody to, no matter your age, even though I gifted this book to uh, people in my life that are around the age of, they're in their early 20s. Yeah. I, I, I mean, I, I took so much away. It's funny, uh, uh, my mom was visiting and, and I was going to gift this to my, uh, my niece, but she found it. I said, hey, I want to give this to Lindsay. And she started reading it, you know, while she was just kind of hanging out and visiting. Next thing you know, I'd, I'd get up in the morning and, and she'd have her coffee and be halfway through the book. Like, <laughs> She's like, no, I, I really enjoyed this. I can't put this down. I was like, because for me, one of the things that it, what resonated with me is, is this, you talk about this coming of age story, and it, yeah. which it is, and it took me back to that time, that discovery of, of music and, and whatever form it is. And, just, and you use the term punk rock, but we all know that punk is a very loose term. Yeah, totally. Totally. I, I think uh, it... It was just hearing something. I think punk rock was the thing that flipped that switch because it was the first, it was just the th- first thing I heard that uh, I went, I could do that. <laughs> like, these guys aren't even good. Like, this three chords, the one straight drum beat, and uh, they all look like fucking mutants. Like, yeah. you know, it seemed like just, super it seemed super accessible and super uh pissed off and both of those things were were appealing to me like um um and it was a great uh it i i just felt very lucky to to even find that music because where we lived like there was uh no shows really going on there definitely wasn't touring bands coming through um and so I, our, our cousin kind of exposed us to it. And I, I don't know if I would, I don't know if I would have been exposed to that anywhere around that time. And if I wasn't, I, who knows if I would have ever picked up drumsticks at all, you know? Uh, early in the book, you talk about the interaction with your cousin and I, I just, it, it was so clear to me. And at, you got, you and your brother were at that age that just such an impressionable age and that turning point where you're becoming a teenager. And, you know, statistically, we, we find that music between the ages of like 14, 15 and early 20s and how 
it stays with us for the rest of our lives. And those bands and those artists and those, those groups that we discovered during that time, they really stay with us. And, and that's, I feel like that personal interaction with your cousin and then you and your brother took it to a next level, you know? Yeah, but, uh, but I, I do agree. And, and, and what music is so great and playing music is so great. is like, um, you then get exposed through the musicians you meet to all kinds of more music shit you've never heard. And, uh, I, I actually, uh, I heard Springsteen the other day saying like, there's no friendship like a rock and roll friendship because only if you connect through music and you both understand why this riff or this bridge or whatever yeah. is so moving, then like you understand each other on this way deeper level and, uh, and, and music's really magical that way. So it, it it was cool, you know, thinking back about when I discovered music in, in that way that I was like, this speaks to me the way nothing else does. And um it made it and, and reflecting on that really made me made me appreciate it, uh appreciate it more now, you know. Well, and especially you went through that with your brother and so yeah. you had a partner in crime in, in discovering that together. And, and uh, although twins have a bond that's unique, uh, you had that in addition. So that's pretty amazing. Yeah. Oh, totally. I, uh, I, I mean, the, that really has, has kept us going even just in a schematic sort of way, because like if you got a guitar player and you've got a drummer, you've always got a band. That's true. You know, <laughs> and it's so uh, that's been uh, that's probably the reason we're still playing music today. Really, that's amazing. That's amazing. At what point did you think I'm going to make a book out of this experience? Uh, you know, I think so. Like after I was cancer free or whatever you want to call it, not getting treatment, and I kind of worked. Um. I'd kind of gotten it to the point that I could play again. Mm-hmm. Uh, we just dove in full tilt into that dream. Like, so we, our punk bands, like, uh, just toured for about 10 years straight. I mean, playing at any basement, shady club, fucking whatever that we could play. And, um, and which was great for me at the time because, I'd just gone through that, the whole cancer thing. And I'd just been, that had just defined me so much that um, being out on the road, I didn't have to think about that. I didn't have to tell anybody about that. I didn't, I didn't get looked at that way because, you know, you're meeting different people every night and you can kind of redefine yourself. And that was great. But like, you know, um, as I know now, kind of like uh, if you don't deal with those kind of issues, they they show themselves in other ways. Yeah. And uh, so, like, uh, I think uh, you know, I definitely was in a bit of a self-destructive phase. Maybe when I started thinking about writing the book, uh, I, I think one <laughs> actually one. Uh, 
one thing that led up to I'm very motivated by spite and uh, and like the fault in our stars had come out the movie and people were asking me if I was going to go see it and I was like I lived that fucking movie this movie does not reflect what this is actually like um and I read a the book of uh born on the fourth of July which you may have seen the movie but but when I read the book I I was so moved by it because his experience the way he described the hospital and his experiences with becoming disabled you know just waking up and you're disabled and uh and and, and it was so impactful and um i was like uh i i i really was like i want to write something like that about about teenage cancer because it's getting romanticized right now and like uh cancer is not rated pg-13 you know like it's it's fucking terrible so i think that was actually a pretty big motivator and um and just knowing like just like with anything else i i had this i don't want to call it an epiphany because it's so simple but i went you know all kinds of people want to write books. I've met all kinds of people, even then in my whatever, mid, late 20s, that talked about writing books. But, like, the only difference is just trying to actually do it. That's that's the biggest thing is just getting started on anything. Yeah. And, and so, you know, I started working on it. It took me forever, probably about five years, like the the original draft of it looked like a suicide bomber manifesto or something it was like it's fucking long and uh uh, yeah i remember getting it printed off at kinkas to do my first edit and i was so excited and the kinkas guy was like oh so are you gonna self-publish this and i was like no i'm gonna i'm gonna get it published and he was like yeah cool bring me a copy whenever you self-publish it and i was like cool man and uh you know i take little things like that and and internalize them and blow them up in my head to just piss me off and almost a motivator yeah it it really is i i uh uh, i i know i i don't know what my therapist would think about that but i do say it all the time like spite is such a big motivator to me and i uh you know i wish i was like a very zen dude but i'm not and i can be very spiteful and like it, it helps well i dude i know that about myself tell me i can't do something if you want me to do it and exactly man like um and 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 i got that same kind of yeah. thing in me that i'm like cool great thank you for saying that did you have an opportunity to show the guy at kinko's your no, I, <laughs> you know, I, I, um, I, I never did that and I, and I kind of regret it now. Um, but I'm like, you know what, man, like, uh, this guy is working at Kinko's in the middle of the night, like, let him get some licks in if he wants to. That's not yeah, <laughs> that's good my back, you know? Really, really good point. Well, I mean, did you, did you, dis- did you always consider yourself a writer? No, uh, not at all. Like, um, I, I came to writing and, and, and then screenwriting, like, um, just the way I came at music. I was just like such a fan 
that, you know, at a certain point, your fandom can either become like you're dressing up and going to Comic-Con or you're getting involved with it yourself. And, uh, you know, I didn't go to school for writing. I didn't really know what the fuck I was doing, but I read a lot. And, um, you know, uh, I read a lot when I was sick. I read a lot on the road. And, um, you know, your early, your, your, your early 20s and that first, and really no matter what age you are, that first couple years getting to be out on the road playing music, like just the adventure of it is so, is, 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 is like invigorating, you know, and, Mm -hmm. and reading while I'm traveling and I'm experiencing new things and reading about other people experiencing new things. I mean, like a lot of asshole 25 year olds uh, that was around when I was really getting into like, you know, Jack Kerouac and like (laughs) stuff like that. And I was really uh, thinking I was, (laughs) I don't know what I was thinking, but I, but I was, uh, when I, when I just kind of discovered those authors and I would find like, they formatted it however they want. They didn't, it didn't have to be a, I mean, I would read, I, I, I read one author uh, uh, that he would format some paragraphs coming from the right side to the left instead of the left side to the right. And just stuff like that, that I was, that, you know, seeing it done and seeing it be successful was was encouraging to me as, as somebody that had no fucking idea what I was doing. Yeah. That uh, made me go, or maybe I can feel this out. Yeah. Like, uh, and um, so that's kind of what I did. Yeah. Well, it, it it's really great, man. And uh, again, I, like I said earlier, I, I really enjoyed reading it. I, I enjoyed sharing it. Uh, it it motivated me. I know with this is probably the uh, third or fourth time we've scheduled this interview. And I'm like, man, I'm yeah. going to down because uh, I'm just excited to be able to, to connect with you here. Oh, I am too, man. I, I, I really have been like, I was, <laughs> it was like one thing after the other with me. Right. Well, one of the thing, if you don't mind, I, I want to get to uh, later, but uh, with this book, is it being developed into a movie? It, it is. Um, um, I, I read the screenplay and um, that was, and that, and that was really my brother, you know, right when it came out and it, had some success he was like dude you've got to try to get into the screenwriting world like with this um and so i kind of did the same thing kind of tried learned how to write scripts myself and um did a spec draft of it and and it got uh netflix interested and some directors and you know uh now it's kind of uh, drifting around to different production companies. So like, it's such a long process, you know, but, uh, but yes, it's still, uh, it's, it's still going to get made into a movie and, and that will be, uh, so fucking weird and awesome. <laughs> <laughs> That's a good description. Weird and awesome. Uh, it, and is it, do you think it's going to be under the same title? As a book. Uh, yeah, I mean, I, I, I mean, ideally with this, you know, like I have some other uh, scripts and stuff that have that have been 
you know, are either getting developed or like looked at by production companies. And a lot of those, uh, they do want to bring in like their, their own writers they have under contract or like producers that, you know, may want to change this or that. But, but with Diane with me, um, specifically, I, I kind of like, uh, am going to be way, le- I'm, I'm way less willing to give up, uh, creative control you know um um, i've i've been because the movie uh business gives no shits about the writers Mm -hmm. it's a weird thing where like in the tv world the writer is is in charge and they bring in whoever to direct every episode but with movies they give no shits about the writer and so like and, and I know that, and you know what, like, whatever, that's cool. But, um, but with this project specifically, I'm very much like, I've got to write it. And Nat and I have got to write all the music. Mm-hmm. And, um, oh, cool. and, and that's that, like, because, uh, I mean, I remember meeting with one producer and she was like, oh, my God, oh, my God, we got to get Ed Sheeran to play you and Nat. And I said, oh my, oh my God, like, that's the most, <laughs> one, he's, isn't he like 30 something? And two, like, that's the most unpunk rock <laughs> thing you could possibly ever do. That'd be like when they got the guy, the uh, Rupert, whatever from Harry Potter to play Cheetah Chrome. You're like, dude, oh even though that was kind of awesome, but. <laughs> <laughs> but, uh, but yeah, so um, I think the title will stay the same. And I think um, for better or worse, that one, I, I'll definitely like uh, be kind of creatively uh, helming for yeah. the most part. And for our listeners, Nat is your twin brother. Nat is my twin brother and musical yeah. collaborator. Nice. Um, I love that idea of you guys writing the music. That would be amazing. Uh, yeah, it'll be cool. I mean, really, we've already written most of the music for it, and it's been fun. Like, I mean, we've even kind of gone back to songs that we wrote when we were fucking sixteen, and going like, "All right, we're going to rewrite these as 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 middle aged dudes," and <laughs> you know, imagine like some kids playing it. Yeah, and it's been really fun. Uh, it's been really cool. Yeah. Okay. So who ideally would you like to have play you in the movie? <laughs> you know, I get, I get asked that in meetings and stuff all the time and, and, and they still haven't cast anybody. And I, and I always, I, I do think about it, but then I go, wouldn't I be a fucking creep if I knew who the new hot 16 year old well, <laughs> actor, what Tiger B guy was? Because I guess I don't know Bruce Willis. I don't know any actor. I don't know anybody that's under twenty that's an actor. Like as soon as I, I ask that question, I'm like, you're going to mention somebody, and I'm not going to know who you're talking about. You know, one uh, dude that was discussed and, and that I was really excited about that now, since you know, there's been these snags in the production, he might be too old. But they were talking about. Um, having uh tom holland the kid that plays spider-man oh yeah and like i could tell and i have such mad respect for that guy that i i could totally see it but uh but he might be too old now too even so like Mm -hmm. yeah it's uh 
I try to keep an eye out for um, like younger actors that I think are interesting, but uh, but I'm gonna kind of let um, the people above my pay grade deal with that because I <laughs> and, and but there's also weird. I mean, it, it's been very interesting. Like when we we're talking about casting, there's weird like entertainment managers who only rep twins and like it's like these two it's one specific company i wish i could remember the name of the company but it's two women who are twins yeah who only manage twins so it's like they've got all your twin needs <laughs> uh, uh, <laughs> it's like such a niche thing but but that's been a big thing like do they get actual twins so they need to look exactly alike like and 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 i uh i find it interesting but i but i also am like trying to let go and let god deal with that you know it's a tough thing especially when you're talking about like something that's so stereotypical hollywood totally and and but you know one of the things that makes me really excited about you know, screenwriting and stuff like that is, is collaboration because writing is so um, isolating. And especially after this pandemic, like the thought of getting in and collaborating with some people and like kind of letting go of a little creative control uh, is really exciting to me. Like, cause I'm so sick of this shit um, <laughs> um, as everybody is. So yeah. yeah, yeah. Uh, so yeah, it is. It's it's exciting and 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 it's still happening. I, I actually just had a meeting about it yesterday. So um, things are chugging along at, at at the snail's pace you would expect. You remind me of something. Uh, I just want to pause for a second here. We're yeah, January uh, twenty twenty two, and you and I were planning to get together today in person. And we made a last-minute decision to do this remotely. Yeah. Because um, I'm vaxxed and boosted. Uh, I know there's been some controversy over this. We've even heard from some of our listeners about it. Um, say, hey, guys, don't, please don't, you know, don't bring this up or whatever. I, but I just, I just want to say that one of the reasons why we've, we've decided to do this is kind of as a, is not kind of, but as a precaution to remind people what you said earlier, you're down to one lung. Right. I, so I have, uh, yeah, I only have uh, 34% breathing capacity of a normal person. Mm-hmm. And so I, I've just had to be in, in it super cautious during COVID. And, and it sucks because it's been hard for me. Once I got vaxxed and boosted, you know, I go, oh, my God, like, you know, there was like a little window of normalcy and now it's this new variance and whatever, whatever. And, um, so, but, but we've, we're still scheduled to play my band bad signs is playing, doing a residency at, at the Legion in East Nashville next month, mm-hmm. every Sunday. And I'm really like, it does make me nervous, but I'm not like, I, like today, even I was really excited to come do this in person. Um, mm-hmm. um, but I'm, I'm trying to go, okay, I got to go out in public for those shows. Yeah. And if I get, and if I get sick before, then there's no fucking way. So, um, 
You have to prioritize. So, yeah. yeah, and this yeah I've, I've, I've really kind of been uh, back to hiding in my house mm-hmm. until uh, until the the first of the month. Um, yeah. So I'll be extra excited to play. <laughs> That's awesome. That's awesome. Well, I mean, we can go on and on, but I, I, enough said. I, I feel like that they're just, you know, I think it's just important to realize that um, there's other people we need to to think about. Yeah, yeah. I mean, and and you know, I have one of my friends that that uh, Nat and I also have a punk band with, uh, Tally Osborne. As she doesn't have fucking arms, and like in the heat of the pandemic, she's like having a Clorox stuff with her fucking mouth, you know? And, um, and, and I would go, man, people, it it puts shit in perspective for me because I think I, I'm high risk, you know, and she's super high risk too. And there's just, um, and it sucks and I'm sick of it, but like, uh, it really makes me go, man, just go get vaccinated, dude. Like, Mm-hmm. please because because the people that are high risk are like still they can't they, I, I i mean i have the urge like everybody else to go you know what fuck this i'm vaccinated i'm boosted like i'll even if i get it i'll i i uh i'll be fine and then you know somebody goes well they're not talking about you when they say that you have no idea how it's going to affect you yeah. So you're being an f- idiot and you, sh- you shouldn't leave your house. And I, you know, bitch and moan and then go, yeah, you're right. I shouldn't. Yeah. So, so I do, I really appreciate you being so cool about everything, man. Um, yeah, no, no. Yeah, for sure. You no, know, I feel like I have some insight to as much as one can to your experience just by reading your first book yeah, man. with me and, um, and to go through that, uh, is amazing. And just kind of as a side note, I think the thing that is fascinating about your story, people that know me, I'm obsessed with the second world war and people are like, why are you, you know, it's like, I think it's because when we read about these things, when we study these, these like situations, these really tough situations that human beings go through one of the fascinating things that that we do is we try and put ourselves in that situation and yeah. ask ourselves, how would I handle that? How would I handle being in the situation that I read about, you know, with the soldier? Or how would I deal with going through chemotherapy and being separated and watching my twin brother in his, like, it was almost like uh, you were watching yourself without cancer in your brother yeah who he was while you were struggling physically and emotionally and going through all this horrific things and and so you could kind of balance those two worlds but my point is always throughout this story as i was reading I'm like how would i deal with this how would i handle it what kind of emotional roller coasters would i deal with or physical challenges yeah, you know man that that really is such great uh that means so much to me that you say that because I, I think that was really one of the goals, my goals in that book and, and, and everything I write is to kind of uh, humanize everybody to a fault, mm-hmm. myself included. And, 
and hope that like that helps build empathy for people who haven't gone through the experience to really kind of get an insight of what it's actually like. Um, and, uh, and, and how humans actually act in those situations. And I, and I think, uh, you know, the fact that it made you really think about it that way, really, uh, that means a lot to me, man. That makes me very happy because I really, I think empathy is the most lacking, uh, character trait we've got going right now and but that's one of the such a cool things about about art is like that's such a it's a weirdly the most digestible way to to spread that you know maybe that's why art is 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 controlled in certain societies because they know that it's such a powerful voice totally uh oh totally like i i definitely think you're right i mean even if you talk about the second world war like um I remember going to the Holocaust Museum in DC and the uh the they had a display of the children's books and like mainstream art that was all propaganda that they were putting out like the 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 vilest weed and the weed is the symbolism for like and if there's this vile weed you have to rip it out of the garden. And uh Art, art is a great tool for just subconsciously uh, sneaking a message into somebody. If you can make it entertaining and it's not too like browbeating, I think the more effective the messaging is. And it's, it's, uh, yeah, it, it, it totally doesn't surprise me um, that, that, leaders and countries do that and 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 i'm also i'm somebody that tries to take notes from even the most terrible people <laughs> like you know because i go yo say what you want about hitler you got a lot of shit done <laughs> if, and i and i study that and go this is actually really interesting because like you know british soldiers were given a bottle of red wine a night and German soldiers were given a bunch of fucking amphetamines and then they would always be like miles ahead of where they were projected to be by, by the, the British uh, generals. And I'm like, uh, it's very scary when people realize they can use art and, and the messaging that you're able to do with art for nefarious purposes. Like, uh, yeah. and, and it really is, art is such a powerful thing. Like, uh, it's a universal language, you know? I think it's, I think that's the thing that's so funny is people who know me as so much of a pacifist, they're like, how are you obsessed with this war? And I'm like, you understand <laughs> the history behind it, the, the lessons learned, yeah, historical figure. Like there's so much about it. It's not about violence. It's not about the war itself. It's, a, it's just about the lessons we learn about the human condition that fascinate me. Um, and of course, totally. that could be applied to other scenarios, you know, fiction or nonfiction, you know. For yeah. Sure. Um, yeah. I mean, it's like the height of human drama. Played yeah. out on the world stage, like there you go. It's hard yeah. not to be captivated by the. <laughs> try, yeah, try not yeah. to be interested in this. <laughs> yeah, seriously. Uh, uh, I I just watched 1917, and I 
Wow. And that, I was so fucking struck by it. I, not to be talking about World of Wars, but mm. I was like, uh, now I'm diving into this war. It, it well, it, the, the production wise was amazing. It's all one camera. It was incredible. Oh, it was incredible. One shot, you know. It was, uh, I, I knew I should have seen it in theaters, and it was very much like it had the tone of a horror movie. And I thought that was so effective because, like, what a horrifying experience and what a horrifying war. It's this mix of, like, almost uh, barbaric fighting meets the beginning of the gen- the uh, the automated weapons in that age, but you still got these trench warfare and stuff. I mean, um, uh, I, I digress, but anyway, no, I, I get your interest in it. <laughs> sure. Yeah. Yeah. No, that was, that, that, that is a whole nother thing for sure. Uh, they both, uh, changed, uh, the, the course of human history. Yeah you know, in, in ways that are so un, uh, amazing. You've got two other books, um, yeah. 2020, the vinyl underground and paradise, West Virginia. Um, that was 2020 and 2021. Could you tell us briefly about those books? Yeah. Um, vinyl underground is, was kind of inspired by my dad. Actually, he was, uh, I'm super interested in the Vietnam war because my dad was, uh, an embassy guard during the fall of Saigon. Wow, and um, and he never really would talk about it, so I was always very curious about it. Um, so that book said in 1968, and it's about a, a high school senior whose brother, who was a DJ, has just been killed in Vietnam, and um, his brother uh, would always pair the records he sent home with, or the letters he sent home with a 45 to listen to, and so he and his friends kind of started a record club where they um, listen to the records and read his letters and really reflect on the war and the situation at home. And that was, uh, that was also the year the government started trying to crack down on dereliction of duty. Like, cause so many people were, you know, shooting themselves in the foot, cutting off their tips of their fingers, like anything they could not to get drafted. So they try to figure out a way to to fail the draft exam that's not going to put up a bunch of red flags, and they think maybe they can do it by blowing their ears out to rock and roll music. Oh my gosh! And uh, and and that too is inspired by you know I was I was record shopping and I I bought this old Mamas and the Papas record for like a dollar, and there was a fucking letter inside from 1968. Really? Was like this, a real letter? Yeah, a real letter. I still have it. It was like this couple, the girl just went away to college, and they were writing one another and pairing the letters with records. And it was, I thought it was so beautiful. And, uh, and that was kind of where the spark of, of the story came from. That's, that's incredible. I love that story. You know, yeah. I, I recently had Kenny Arnoff on a couple weeks ago. That's so cool. Yeah, and he has a story of he and his twin brother. He's a twin. I don't know if you know I that. I didn't know that. Yeah, and it's 1970, and they got their names called to go in for the draft, and he ate and exposed himself to everything that would cause an allergic reaction, got letters from doctors, went in, 
he said all these dudes around him were like ready to fight the communists, but he's like, look, I've got all this shit wrong with me. <laughs> They're like, get the fuck out of here. You're going to make everybody sick. That's Just amazing. Go. See that, that, that's what I'm talking about, dude. That's creative thinking. Like, uh, uh, and, uh, that's amazing. Man, those little nuggets of history, that letter, that, but that blows my mind. What, how it, really, it, it was really, it was really a trip. It was so random and I was just really moved by it. Um, yeah. Um, but yeah, in my newest book, Paradise, West Virginia is, is uh, a thriller about my, my hometown, my hometown's is capital of the world. And my, uh, my home state, West Virginia is, uh, of course, like overrun by the opioid epidemic. And so, you know, law enforcement is overwhelmed. Um, normal, like social services almost don't exist. I mean, it's very much like the wild west. And so the premise of the, that book is we're following two kids whose life has been destroyed because their dad is a convicted serial killer and a murder podcast comes to town to do an episode on their dad and a girl goes missing in the audience after the podcast. And so the kids try to use this. So it's a dual narrative. It's the police investigating this and the kids trying to use this to exonerate their dad and prove that the real killer of these women is still out there. And, uh, and that actually got picked up. That's getting made into a, a series by Paramount. And that's, yeah. And that's been really fucking cool. So, um, you say it's going to be made into or it is? Yeah. Yeah. It's getting made right now. Like, okay. um, yeah, they're like doing, working out the pilot and everything now. So it's, uh, so that, that, uh, uh, is very exciting. I'm not as involved in that maybe as I'd maybe like to be, but, um, but I get that, you know, like, uh, with the big mainstream company, my, my vision is maybe not the best m way to make money, <laughs> you know, cause I'm like, I want this shit rated X. I want it super violent. I want it whatever, whatever. And, uh, a lot of social commentary and they're like, uh, but, uh, uh, yeah, I got that idea really. Cause you know, there was a weird, I, I love true crime like everybody else. Yeah. Because I, I love horror. And but I I always liken this like true crime explosion to when horror movies really exploded in the early eighties. And but the difference is like uh and, and it's cool because getting that jolt of anxiety is almost like a vaccine to the day-to-day -day anxieties of everyday life so i get mm -hmm. why people are drawn to it because anything abnormal is very fascinating but there's also this sick uh refusal by most true crime fans i think to acknowledge our own ghoulishness and mm -hmm. in doing that and i and there was this period where i, I turned on netflix and there was like three Ted Bundy things come up on my screen. It's like a two documentaries in the movie. And I went, who's getting residuals for this? He has a daughter. 
she's a victim too, is she not? Like, is yeah. she getting residuals? Is is his victims' families? Because I guarantee they're fucking not. Yeah. And um, you know, I, I I just the concept of having a favorite murder or murderer is fucking disgusting to me. And I really uh, the same way I kind of felt like trying to do that with Die Young with me. I really uh, that was that was kind of my way to to uh, make make some comments on that. Right, and 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 going back to that book, I mean, you you were just talking about the dysfunction of kind of the yeah. system. It's unreal. And it's amazing I mean, that it goes on in, in our country. I mean, and, and actually like, so uh, the, I, I went to, you know, my hometown hospital once they realized they had no idea what to do for me. They thank God sent me, to another hospital, but I think it was the next week they started chemotherapy on a woman and didn't get the needle into her vein and they pumped it directly into her arm and they had to amputate her arm like 20 minutes later. Oh shit. And it's like, it's crazy, man. Uh, I mean, I'm right up there right now. Like I was just up there for a funeral. Um, uh, and it was under very, it was my, my best friend, Paul, that's actually in the book. And it was like very kind of mysterious circumstances. And there was no autopsy because if you want to get an autopsy in Huntington, West Virginia, there's a 10 month wait. Oh my God. Because they have so many dead bodies up there. And, uh, it's, it's like a horse show, man. And people don't know about it. And, um, and so I've really, uh, and this, every, everything I'm working on really right now is, is, uh, kind of a, a commentary about that. Yeah. Yeah. The hospital you ended up spending a lot of time in was in Columbus. Is that correct? Right. Yeah. yeah. That's my hometown. Really? Yeah. Oh, cool. Um, and, uh, so there are times in the book you're talking about driving down, <laughs> in German village. Yeah. And, and, and right after chemo and puking on the street next to some guy in a BMW, <laughs> like, I probably played in a club right there. <laughs> <laughs> That's awesome, man. I, I, Columbus is a great city, man. Yeah. Uh, um, and, and to me at the time it was like, Holy shit. There's a cheesecake factory here. Like, are you guys seeing this? Like, this is fucking amazing. Yeah. This is yeah. like a metropolis. Yeah, and, and it's, it's changed so much. I mean, I haven't been there. I haven't lived there since 99, but... Um, oh, word. Yeah, it has. I, uh, but it's 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 gotten really cool. You know, there's a lot of music venues still. It's weirdly a really good music town. It is. It is. I learned so much there. I, I really value that being a place to grow up and learn from. But it was just kind of just trippy. Yeah, and the two book the the two people I gifted your book to lived in Columbus. So, oh man, that's great! Like, uh, you know, I dated a girl from Columbus who, who used to scoff at me when I was writing that. So, like, I always have this dream of that book floating around the city and finding her fucking ass one day. <laughs> <laughs> 
That's amazing. I remember vividly, I'd be writing, I was writing the book when we were dating and I'd be like, I'm getting this done. I'm going to get this published. And she's like, yeah, okay. And I'm like, yeah, okay. File it away in my hate fuel and keep <laughs> working. <laughs> but uh, but now uh, Columbus, I, I I have you know endless love for that place because it, it really truly kind of saved my life. Yeah, yeah, that's awesome, man. Good, that's awesome. Um, well, let's talk about music, man. Let's talk about uh, Blacklist Royals. This is a group with your brother. It's been around for a little while. Yeah, we just did a, a 10th anniversary show uh, at a, a punk festival in Florida. Like, um, that was the band. We we started that band um, right when we moved down here, actually, or started in, uh, I, don't, I don't know what the word, started different, like, variations of that band, what eventually became Blacklist Royals. And, um, and yeah, uh, we toured like I said, uh, for 10, almost 15 years straight, like, um, you for at first just booking them on our own. And, um, and then we had a, a, enough success to get a, you know, travel tour. We toured Europe like three times and got to play like some really cool, like Reading and Leeds and some really cool, we got to do some really cool stuff. And I really am, um, so grateful for that you know what i mean uh we never made a lot of money but like <laughs> you know we i i, I got to experience shit that i had only dreamed of experiencing and mm-hmm. and and if and and those experiences really i think influenced uh uh what would become my writing career because you get to meet so many interesting people oh my god yeah and uh and 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 hear so many great stories. I mean, the one thing I love about music is like everybody, almost everybody in every band is a great storyteller and they almost all have great stories. Um, any, any working musician is going to have great fucking stories and like, Oh my God, you can't, it's just so enriching to get to be around that and hear about it. And it's such a, I, yeah, that's the, th- I've really missed, I've really, really missed touring and, um, and, and just getting out and getting to meet other musicians and play and, uh, yeah, the Blacklist Royals was really the thing that, 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 uh, that was, that was the vehicle in which we really like started our actual career as artists and, um, and, and, we're still uh, writing and recording stuff. Like we were, we, we were planning to do a new album of the songs from the Die Young With Me film. Mm-hmm. But uh, so a lot of those are already recorded. Like we've just, it's a timing thing. Like we were waiting for the movie to come out and then the production got pushed back and, you know, and then COVID happened and yeah. yeah. But yeah, Blacklist Royals is uh, still very proud of that band. That's awesome. Was this the band you were with when you played that, uh, speaking of stories, when you played the women's prison? Uh, yeah, <laughs> yes, it was. And and that was, 
yeah so we were in germany and um they told our the guy booking the tour like if i can't even, i can't even for life remember the name of the town but it was like the prison will pay the bands that he's booking like seven hundred dollars or something to, to play the women's prison and it's like, dude, I'd do that for free. Like, <laughs> I know the experience. So, so, but we had to play for like two hours or something, which was insane for us at the time. Like, we didn't, we didn't do that kind of shit. And, uh, um, but we were like, we're gonna record. <laughs> we were like, we're gonna record it and put out a live EP called Caged Heat, and we're gonna do. So we were doing like. Jailhouse, we're covering Jailhouse Rock, we're covering Jailbreak by Thin Lizzy. And, but then we were imagining it being like the Johnny Cash, and and it was not. Like, (laughs) we we get brought in the place, it looks like the fucking yard from the Shawshank Redemption, you know, like old prison. And they just kind of set us up in the yard. And then, uh, yeah, women are like catcalling us in German, and they bring some of the women out. The others had to watch from their cells. And uh, I've never been more grateful to be a drummer in my life because it was so uncomfortable. And I could just like, I think I just left my sunglasses on and looked at the fucking ground the whole time. <laughs> but my brother, I was like, you gotta still do all this stage banter we'd worked out that we thought was so funny for the recording and so he's having to say like this one goes i tell you jailbirds out there and shit like that and uh the recording got fucked up and didn't even didn't even work but it it was really funny because after we played it was just so cool because after it was a super uncomfortable but then after we played uh girls in the cells were like handing down flyers for the show to get signed and stuff. And I was like, man, when you wind up, I mean, that's a level of success. Like if your poster, if your picture is taped up on the wall of a cell in a women's prison, like that was, oh my God, that was still is very, that's, that makes me feel fucking awesome. <laughs> and, uh, you know, it was really funny because one of the women was yelling something to Nat, my brother, and uh, the guard, one of the guards was like, she wants to kiss you. And, and she was like very gnarly looking and had like some crazy growths on her face. And uh, Nat was like, yeah, well, you know, I don't think that's allowed or whatever. And the guard was like, no, it's fine. It's fine. And everyone gave him a big fucking kiss. And uh, the next day he woke up and he had a rash all over his face. Oh my God, I forgot about that. <laughs> but that was, that was uh, uh, such a cool, surreal experience. Um, and so there's uh, a dozen of them and just yeah. really crazy. Yeah, it uh, uh, it, it was. It, it, it it's just weird as shit, you know. And, and like you know, sometimes you show up to a town and whatever they got going on is like, you guys have bands come and play 
in the fucking prison yard? <laughs> Insane. Yeah. <laughs> uh, uh, but and it was really cool. Like, uh, and it was very humbling, you know. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I had a chance to do that at a a, a prison. It was a, a for kids, like under eighteen. Holy shit! Prison uh, with a band that I was in when we were, you know, like twenty. Yeah. It was an interesting experience. Um, I bet it was, man. Yeah, yeah, really amazing. It really made me, like Billy Bragg and some other musicians have organizations that try to get music into prisons and donate instruments and stuff and like musical programs. And fuck, I think that's so cool because, uh, you know, it it would be hard not to go crazy in a place like that. Like, um Going to prison is actually one of my greatest, my greatest fears because my parents would read me, even when they were still reading to me, they would read like adult books, whatever I wanted. And I remember we were on vacation. My mom's reading that book Sleepers in the car about the kids that steal a hot dog card and then accidentally kill somebody and get fucking molested and abused in prison. And it scared me so bad and I'm so clumsy and stupid. Like I could totally see me stealing a hot dog cart now yeah. dropping it and killing some old guy and fucking ruining my life. So, <laughs> so yeah, it was, <laughs> so, uh, it, it, it was an interesting experience. It was like a, uh, exposure therapy in a way. Yeah, well, and and also probably your introduction to to writing and your interest in in totally. reading that led to that. That's amazing. Oh yeah, it really definitely was. I mean, like um, you know, getting to read Stephen King and stuff when you're mm-hmm. like nine or ten, uh, it just it's it's like music. Like it just is effective in a different way. I mean, right. uh, uh, I heard somebody the other day was talking about liking to write about teenagers and young people because it's just a time of first and like your first everything yeah. and what an amazing time that is and how that first thing, depending on what it is, can completely shape your life, you know? Oh yeah. Oh, For yeah. better or worse. Yeah. Oh, I know. And, 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 and yeah, we all have stories of that. I mean, there, there, there's, there's music and art and books and, and things that we go down back to and, I've got a 16 and a 19 year old son and to watch they're being exposed to uh, either that they've discovered on their own or yeah. through, through my introduction, it's amazing to watch what resonates with them. That's really cool. You know, I've always, I, I, I'm at the age now where a lot of my musician friends are, they're having kids and I, and it, I, I, and I always wonder what that must be like. Like, uh, uh, I have a handicapped dog that inspires me every day, never to have kids, but I, but I do wonder if like their great rebellion would be to be as uncool as possible or if they latch onto the music and they're like this uber, even cooler version of their parents. I, I've got a little bit of both. Oh, <laughs> sure. One's in, uh, studying nuclear engineering and, wow. uh, and the other one's becoming a super badass uh, classical guitar player. So uh, that's cool, man. 
they both dress pretty cool. And, and lately I've been uh, stealing some of their clothes and <laughs> wearing them to gigs and stuff. And people do <laughs> that. Awesome. And I'm like, yeah, I know. I, <laughs> I'm stealing it from. <laughs> That's awesome. Or I could go to Forever 21 and stand in line and be like, yeah, you know, <laughs> creepy dude. I just Which will be more embarrassing to you. <laughs> it's not for me, really. It's not for me. <laughs> well, I was going to ask you, like, why Nashville? Why you guys decided on Nashville? But I'm sure we can all kind of guess. Yeah, I mean, we I, we decided on Nashville because we knew we had to move. We knew there's only really like three or four music cities and like we were way too big of hillbillies to have survived in L.A. So at the time, I mean, most definitely like uh, and the first I mean, the first time we played in Nashville, I was still living in Huntington, West Virginia, and we played at the Muse. And uh, okay. I was wondering what club that was. You mentioned it. You mentioned a uh, rock club, but that, that wasn't there anymore. And, and uh, yeah, it was this disgusting club where I remember the backstage, there was a, a like a mop bucket that was filled with piss. And so then the sink was also filled with piss. And then somebody kicked over the bucket, covered everybody's stuff in piss. And then we played and the power shut out like the third song. And I don't know what it was about that that made us go, we're moving to fucking Nashville. (laughs) (laughs) That was the only time we'd been here before we moved. And, um, and, you know, we're still here and it's, it's really opened up. It's really a lot more than anything. Just allowed me to meet cool people that um, that I, I couldn't have met if I stayed, you know, in the middle of nowhere. I'm I'm curious about that. You know, so people that are listening and maybe musicians or drummers that are interested in going to a music town, kind of what it is about your unique experience that may resonate with them and their aspirations. Well, you know, for me, like, um, it's this weird thing. And, and, and this has been something that has been, uh, really interesting about being here. And like a lot of the people like that played in Blacklist Royals, for instance, I, I would, I began to differentiate between like, you're a real musician Mm. and I'm like a band dude. Like I just, I'm only a musician so I could be in a band. Mm-hmm. And uh, uh, it wasn't until I got to be around some quote unquote real musicians, people who were like, were, I, you know, cause when you just have a band mindset, like I had no real interest in being any better than I needed to be, you know, like mm-hmm. I was just worried about the band, worried about the songs, not super focused on my own craft. And being able to be here and meet people and see people play people who are younger than me, way younger than me, and just the the time and dedication they put into their work, it, it really, uh, it's intimidating and, and, and inspiring, you know, and, um, yep. and uh, it's, it's just, you can't, you can't put a price on experience and getting to watch other people's style and watch other people's how they came at it from the start how they're coming at it 
at that point is it, it really changed my life. Um, but, but at the same time, like I've never had to, I I've never, I've always known I wasn't good enough to be like a, a studio drummer. Like now maybe I could do some sessions, but at the time I definitely wasn't. And so I never had that pressure of, of, you know, hustling for gigs and trying to get in with, and, and that to me seems so fucking stressful, but, but if like, what else are you going to do? If, if you're a musician and you want to be a working musician, you got to just embrace the hopelessness and fucking keep going for it, man. Well, that's, I think that's the interesting thing is, is there is that constant pressure, but um, I think it's important for us to shed some light on alternate, just different paths that people have taken to be able to maintain a life of music and yeah. activity uh, that doesn't require this. It not, not, not every path is, is, is the same. I mean, as many interviews as, as Zach and I have done on this, podcast everyone's story is different uh, and that that is empowering in in many ways and so it was it was listening to this podcast has been so educational to me you know like um really getting to getting to meet and work with people that are better than you Mm -hmm. is and is so educational i mean I, i remember when uh we blacklist rose our, our last full length we did with this producer ted hutt who's like this you know he's like one grammys and shit he's like a real producer it's our first uh and we never had an experience like that and he was talking about uh recording a jesse malin record and the drummer he told the drummer like dude the drummer was amazing and he had to go play like you don't know how to play. Yeah. And the drummer just stared at him and then stood up and started taking his kid apart and went, fuck you <laughs> and left. And what? of course the next day his wife's calling him going, please let him come back. And, and, and I was just struck by going, if you can let go of your ego and go play like you don't know how to play, you can maybe, maybe that's, your sound maybe uh you know getting that rawness in it makes this stick out and sound more authentic than whatever and and just learning different people's uh uh styles and where their heads are at coming at stuff because like you know a lot of people don't think about like every person playing on a record is you whether they're reading off music or not they're like can bring their own vibe to it. And, um, and it's really cool to get some insight about what that vibe is, this unspoken, you know, this unspoken thing they're trying to put in the song, put through with their performance. And, uh, and you're not going to get that in Wichita. <laughs> I, I, the, the, the thing that resonates with me about all that is talking about, is thinking about Charlie Watts. Yeah. And his passing. And um, 
So now you've got one of the the, the, the greatest drummers of all time, Stephen, Steve, Stephen, Steve Jordan coming in and playing with the Stones. And all these people are huge fans of Steve Jordan saying, it just doesn't sound the same. I miss Charlie Watts. Yeah. Just being like completely honest with their feelings, their gut feelings yeah. about this new sound, which it just is what it is. Sorry, Charlie's not coming back. And Charlie. if you go watch the Stones, it's, it might as well be you know, Steve Jordan, but it, it speaks to, again, what we've been talking about this whole time is art and expression and that gut, everything that, that comes from, from here, that the Rolling Stones is a great example of, of a band that personified that. Totally. And, and, you know, he was a, and him especially, like I, I love the Rolling Stones. I, you know, they were, they were so adjacent to punk rock for me. Actually, chill, my dog. <laughs> but uh, his on record, I never really thought about his drumming one way or another. Like, um, but then when I would get all concert DVDs or like when I saw them live and you really realize they only sound the way they sound because he's bringing this cool fucking vibe into it. Like just the way he works the hi hat yeah. and the way he just, he's so laid back Yeah, and, uh, in a band that's like very in your face, but having him laid back and chill, uh, it's, it, it, it really did define that sound and like, uh, um, and it's really cool to like get a get to appreciate that, get to a point that I can appreciate that, you know. And and so I I feel like I fall under the under the category of of working musician, and I've I've, I've tried to cultivate that line of work for many decades, and yeah. you know just a hired gun, and it's kind of one of the inspiration to start this podcast, but. I just find it fascinating that story of the drummer just tearing his shit down because it's like, I've been told that too, you know, like act like you don't know how to play because what they're in essence saying is it's don't make it slick. Don't make it drummy drum play for the song play. This is the vibe we're going for. And in my mind, that drummer missed an opportunity to like show to showcase what a professional working musician can do adapt totally. the situation and if it it doesn't mean elevate your chops it means rise to the occasion so if you need to dumb it down if you need to play something that's left-handed then you fucking do it exactly i mean um uh it's <laughs> and, and you're right it, it, it's like you he wasn't thinking of himself as an artist when he did that because like the real creative thing to do, no matter what instrument you're playing, is is try to, you know, match whatever feeling you're trying to get across. And like, uh, and, and and I felt really lucky that, you know, my brother and I made a decision once we started being able to get in rooms with people like that to go, we're gonna do whatever they fucking say, because they're them for a reason. Mm -hmm. we're us for a reason mm -hmm. and uh, we uh you know we need to let them do their thing and um of course like you any artist has ego like 
I think it's a necessary driving force to keep you going because this business is so fucking terrible and heartbreaking. Like uh, you got to have enough ego to believe in yourself and that, you know, your creative life is, is uh, sustainable and it, and it's worth eating that much shit. But yeah, that was, <laughs> I mean, what it was such a funny story. And also so like, God, what an idiot. I just imagined like a thousand splash symbols getting taken down. You know what I mean? Like <laughs> one of those dudes. Uh, so <laughs> oh my God. But hearing that was really, um, was really impactful to me. Yeah. Yeah. As well as should, man. I, I, I love that. Well, it's, I mean, drummy drum stuff, like you say, you know, early on, you guys were the ones that had the basement and your parents. Yeah. And so, well, then this is where the band rehearses and we can put drums down here and okay, I'll play drums. But like there were bands and there were drummers that influenced you, you know, whether it was Pennywise or Face to Face. Totally. And and w did that continue to influence you? Were there other bands, other drummers that inspired you? You know, one of the bands I I always loved, even when I was young, like really young, and even when I was in my like Uber, if it's not punk rock, kick into the fucking curb phase, mm -hmm. was The Who. And yeah. um, so that was one of... that. Uh, Bob O'Reilly was, even when I was a teenager, was like, every day I'm going to try to play this song. Mm -hmm. And then um, drummers, like the drummer from Tom Petty and the Heartbreakers, I thought he had such an interesting style and a very a unique style that was kind of more a reined-in version of, of Keith Moon's style. Like, mm -hmm. it, was, it, it, it was very solid when it needed to be, but the fills were always really interesting. And and drum fills with punk rock are usually pretty straightforward, like super fast, super whatever. And so finding, but but punk rock is often like super fill heavy for the drums. And um, finding those like more mid tempo bands that had better, frankly, better drummers who were doing a lot of fills but doing a more interesting. Uh, really influenced like how I wanted to play and how um and, and how I learned to play like I still like I don't write drum fills I just kind of close my eyes and <laughs> see what's gonna happen like sometimes it works out sometimes it doesn't but uh but I I just really um that style really spoke to me yeah, yeah, for sure. I, you know, there's certain tempos, uh, and people would think that fast would be more difficult. But you know, in, in some respects, you know, playing mid tempos and trying to find creative totally. ways to, to build in syncopation or something that keeps the music moving forward. You know, that that to me is is challenging. Like really slow, fine, plenty of time to think about it. Just you know, relax and play into it fast, man. You can almost do no wrong. Just, just yeah, up with the, the, the can be. Yeah. I agree, man. Like uh, with with Nat and I's band, the Bad Signs. Uh, we were just actually we just finished rehearsal before I, I I came in here to do this. But that band, I really have to like have a little sticky note on my kit that's like <laughs> slow, 
down. You know, <laughs> like you just got to slow down, dude. It's you can't. Uh, it can't be everything faster than everything else. What's that band about? The Bad Signs is uh, a really cool. I think it's really cool. Uh, band that's really a lot of the brainchild of my brother Nat. Um, and it's kind of like the soundtrack. It started out to try to be the soundtrack to a movie that didn't exist. Mm. Uh, and it, what is what it's what it's turned into is kind of a mix between the Misfits meets Patsy Cline or something. Oh. Like it was Nat and I, and um, then Samantha Harlow, who was an Americana singer that worked down at Roberts on Broadway and had never heard a punk rock song in her life. And, um, and she and I met, uh, and became friends. And then Nat had written a song. Incredible voice, by the way, she's got, yeah, she's, she, she's really something special, man. And, um, um, we've, more than any project we have, like when we were first able to get back together after the pandemic, uh, after the worst part of the pandemic, like it, it was like uh, with completely new energy, man, like uh, her especially. And um, we just did a, we recorded a full length remotely pretty much. Like it'd be like, uh, you know, I would be in the drum room. They would be in the control room. Like we couldn't be around each other. Mm-hmm. But uh, then my brother produced, um, and we have a. We just released a single. You knew it was a bad sign that I'm really stoked on from those sessions. And we have a. We recorded like a. I, I, it's we call it a bad stream, but it's like it's not a live stream. It's a, just a live concert recording that we yeah. did on a sound stage it's like 15 minutes uh that my brother directed and it's like very old school and uh and that's going to come out soon which i'm really really stoked about and um we're promoting that down at the legion in east nashville we're doing a residency there where we do a bad sabbath every sunday where we play with some great other bands and so so it it sucks because that's why i'm not with you right now, but I'm also sure. uh, yeah. really excited to be able to get out and play some music. That's amazing, man. No, I, I, I think there is a video floating around of, of from that. Yeah. There's the video for, uh, knew it was a bad center singles yeah. is out there now. Uh, and yeah, Samantha, man, her, uh, her performance of it was in uh, that was so great. I mean, the the end of it is uh, which the end of the full video is so great because uh she just kind of goes wild and pulls like a female Iggy pop on the crowd and it's it's just so fun it's so fun to watch people get uncomfortable you know wow, wow. <laughs> you mentioned earlier that the thing that you loved about touring especially early on was you met people that didn't know your background that didn't know you yeah. before your first book came out Kind of leads me to my next question. Are, are you sick and tired of talking about your? Uh, no, man. I, 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 honestly, uh, 
I, I'm just humbled by it. Like, and, and I'm not even saying that to be, you know, the fucking asshole that like Bono that pretends he's humbled or something. I, I, I really am. Like I never, um, I went about that book the way I went about everything else in my life. Like I, just the way we used to find the addresses to record labels yeah. and send tapes and go, oh, well, it's done now. We're definitely going to get signed. I, I read this crazy manuscript and I made a list of like hundreds of literary agents and sent it out. And I didn't expect to hear back from any of them. And I started hearing back from a couple and, and um, my, I always I imagined it would just be a fucking manuscript I had in my house. And um, one of the literary agents knew an editor at Simon & Schuster who had just happened to have edited Marky Ramone's memoir. Mm-hmm. And so he had just been like steeped in this punk rock drummer kind of world. And, and he connected to the book and, and uh, Simon & Schuster put it out and it, Actually, the day before I got a call saying that they were going to pick the book up, uh, Blacklist Royals got dropped from our label. Oh. And uh, and uh, we we're on a subsidiary Universal, and it was like such a big deal. And it, it was like ended up being a disaster, as it so often does. And, uh, and I remember, you know, being in my fucking room crying, going, I do not know what I'm going to do now and then i got a call the next day that said the book got picked up and it just totally fucking changed my life and so and so i i I still really am uh i'm just it it perpetually humbled that anybody took the time to read it and definitely they connected with it and uh and you know, I, I, it, it doesn't make me uncomfortable to talk about now. I mean, like, uh, I put myself in that position. Like, uh, there's nothing worse than an artist that will put out some personal stuff and then go, I don't want to talk about that. It's like, <laughs> I, put it out, I put it out in the world. And, uh, and, and I'm just, like, humbled anybody. Anybody took the time to to read my story and, and got anything from it. So, so now it, it really doesn't, um, it doesn't, it doesn't, I'm never sick of talking about it because, uh, you know, being a creative person and especially somebody trying to make a living doing that, it's just so fucking defeating. And like, mm. even, even the wins seem, can seem small compared to the giant, spoonful of shit you've got to eat every day and the older you get the more you know you start going fuck like this is not sustainable what am I doing and then um you know when somebody like you really Mm. digs my work and 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 is so cool about it it really uh sets me straight on that like I read a um you may have read this book but it's called a um man's search for meaning but um it was this really interesting book and i don't remember who turned me on to it but it was written by this philosopher 
a German philosopher who, um, it, it wasn't about like, what is the climb to the top of the mountain, learn the meaning of life. It was about like how one finds meaning in their existence on earth. And so he wrote this um, thesis and then World War II started and his whole family got taken to Auschwitz and the thesis got taken and his whole family got killed and he survived because he had a doctorate. So they made him deal with all the corpses and stuff. And so then the book is actually the first part of the book. Then he rewrote the book after surviving that, after going, after he's lost everything and experienced like horrors on a level you can't even contemplate. So the first half of the book is a memoir of those experiences. And the second half of the book is his new thesis on how we find meaning in existence. And my takeaway from it was you don't find meaning in existence by being happy because happiness is so relative. Mm -hmm. Uh, You know, you can be happy and then all of a sudden you're bored because you're happy for too long. Mm-hmm. You find meaning from your existence by being fulfilled and doing stuff that is fulfilling to you. Mm-hmm. And, and that's the only way. And, struggles are uh, part and, of and I really feel so lucky to, to have things that are fulfilling to me. Cause I know a lot of people that don't, you know, they just go day by day by day and whatever the fuck. And so I really have kind of tried to use that as a guidepost. And, um, and, you know, talking to people that find my work in one way or another, connect to it, like, uh, whatever it may be is, it it is reinvigorating and, and and it's a great reminder of that, you know, like, um, and, uh, and I think, uh, that kind of mindset can, can really be necessary and, and helpful to a working musician because like, Mm. And because when the powers that be find out you're passionate about something, you're so fucked. (laughs) (laughs) You know, it's the same in the entertainment business. It's the same if you're a teacher. Like, if this is your passion, if this is how you find meaning in life, you're fucked. And so uh, I I feel like just keeping that in mind and, and being so grateful for that. Uh, it's humbling enough to, you know, put things in perspective and, and keep you creating in whatever way you can do it. Um, yeah. So that's a long answer to a short question, but no, no, no. It's amazing. That is amazing. What was the name of the book again? It's called Man's Search for Meaning. Man's Search for Meaning. Yeah. Amazing. I, I have to. I I have not read that. I'll have to look that up. You for sure. Check it out. It was really impactful, man. You uh, contributed to Modern Drummer uh, at one point, and there's a quote from you uh, that, <laughs> that's amazing. I, I love it, and maybe it ties into to uh, what you were just talking about. But you wrote, playing drums means something entirely different to me now than it did before I got sick. Now, every time I hit those drums, I know full well I shouldn't be able to. 
Every time I get on stage to play, no matter how hard it may be, all I want to do is beat the living shit out of them. <laughs> do you remember that? No, I don't. And I'm so, I, I really appreciate you reading that to me because like, God damn, man, I, uh, like I said, I'm, I'm grateful for any reminder of that, you know, uh, being a, a working creative sucks because like, it's like you, you climb a huge mountain and you get through the clouds and realize that the mountain goes way higher than you thought. It was. That's right. Yeah. Um, but you know, those to me being reminded of that stuff to me is, is really like, this chance where the clouds kind of part and you can look back and see how high you have climbed. And like, that's an amazing thing. Even if you don't get to the top and like, you got to keep climbing because what the fuck are you going to do? Go back down. Well, Um, we're always looking ahead. We're always looking at the next thing. I always feel like we're in direct competition with this massive onslaught of information and social media bullshit that it's hard to take time to, pause and reflect back on what you've done. Yeah. Yeah. And that's, and, uh, and, and, and that adds a whole new level of, uh, just mind fuckness to it. The whole <laughs> you know, like, <laughs> but, uh, yeah, you got to look back on those tangible things and, and, uh, no, nah, man, I, I really am so glad you read that to me because like, uh, I go, yeah. And I'm going to keep doing that. And I got to keep, reminding myself of that like um you know uh that's what my brother said earlier today actually he goes man i'm in the appreciate every fucking sandwich mode of my life (laughs) 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 and i go yeah dude that's not a bad that's not a bad thing like you know we're so adverse to looking at our own mortality and no shit because it's terrible but also, like, uh, sometimes uh, just, like, horror and thrillers can be a little shot of anxiety to keep the anxiety of everyday life bearable. Like, the small reminders of that can maybe keep you, keep your life in perspective and keep you from getting caught up in the uh, in the game of it all. Do you feel like you're understanding embracing life's mortality? through your experience at a young age helped change the way you saw life uh, in a way that maybe a lot of people never had the opportunity to experience? I I, I, I do. I do think it did. I think it, I mean, I know it did. Like I, I, uh, it just made me more empathetic. Like it made Mm -hmm. me, Mm -hmm. because nobody gave a fuck, you know, it was like nobody cared when I was sick, except my core group of people, nobody, and nobody cared when I was older, you know, I'm in my twenties. I have chronic pain issues from, you know, my surgeries and stuff. So like touring was hard on me. And like, uh, you know, you really, it, it, I, I found that I, I, it was easy for me to understand that I didn't understand what, people were going through and I couldn't make snap judgments on people like, um, um, and I'm a judgy fuck. So like that, (laughs) (laughs) that was a big deal. (laughs) Like, uh, but it, it, it really, it really definitely did. And, and, 
I'm so blessed for it in a lot of ways because I, I have a lot of friends and people that have come into my life that uh, the, the, that I met or formed bonds with because, you know, we understood that I understood they were going through something beyond the normal pale. And, and I understood that I didn't understand it. And so I should act accordingly and give them whatever considerations they needed, you know, and really extends grace their direction. Um, and so, yeah, I, I, I mean, I'm still an asshole, but I, it has made me way more of an empathetic asshole, like for sure. You should put that on your business card. <laughs> empathetic asshole. I <laughs> Call for rates. <laughs> hey, one last thing I want to ask you. Uh, I know you've been involved in advocacy groups and, and different things like that. Um, are, are, are you still involved? What about people? Any advice for people that want to get involved with? Uh, I, 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 I am. I'm not as much as I should be. I've been, I've actually been involved in the last year or so with uh, Teen Cancer America, which is uh, Roger Daltrey and Pete Townsend's organization, which is a really fucking cool organization that um, they really focus on people like I was, like people who are between, you know, 15 and 18. And so they don't fit in really in a children's hospital and they don't fit in in an adult hospital. And what they do is um, work with hospitals to build like basically a hangout room for teenagers that have cancer and have record players and like Mm. shit where they can, you know, uh, hang out with their friends and be a little normal. They're not in like a little a play room and stuff. Mm-hmm. I mean, me and my friends would hang out in like the, the hopscotch yard and shit like that. <laughs> Cause I was in a children's hospital and uh, they'd be out there smoking cigarettes. So like, um, it's a really, really cool organization. And, 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 and I'm very grateful to be involved with that. I've become a little, uh, life has kind of gotten in the way of, uh, of that. And I've, I've, I've had to like be more focused on my career and keeping it from uh, this constant state of possible implosion, <laughs> you know, uh, over the last couple of years, but my advice, uh, I, I, I think doing advocacy work, even, even if you do it for a short time, and even if like you do it and, and don't dig it, I mean, I've done some, I remember working with Make-A-Wish Foundation and it was, and I, I'd be the one to go like people did with me and go, uh, what do you want? And, uh, and try to make that happen. And a lot of times it would be just like, so utterly fucking depressing. And, um, but it was still, uh, very educational experience. And it still gave me um, a lot of uh, perspective. And, you know, like I, I usually start working with groups just cause uh, I, I, I'm high and I reach out, <laughs> I'll take an edibles and I'll be on my Instagram or something, which I'm telling myself I shouldn't be allowed to do. <laughs> yeah. And I'll see some post or some, picture i'll see something i'll be moved by it 
and, and I'll reach out and then, you know, usually they'll reach back out and, and help you get involved if you can. So of course, whatever uh, it takes, man. Yeah. I, I, I think it, uh, you, 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 people can get a lot out of, out of that, even if it's for a brief time. And even, even if it feels like almost a cynical thing, like, but you know, the motherfuckers that go hand out food on Thanksgiving in the soup kitchen, uh, do it for a reason, you know, like they might not be there every day, but it's a reminder of, uh, you know, the broad, wide, often terrible experiences people are going through. And, uh, yeah. and I think, uh, I mean, it, it's not necessarily facing mortality, but, uh, it's a runner up experience for sure. Yeah. 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 Um, uh, so yeah, man, I, I, I've been very lucky to get to do some stuff like that. And I, I hope to, to do more of it in the future. Of course. Well, uh, I, I can't thank you enough, man, for just taking some time to, to talk to us, uh, take a little bit of a, of a left turn, uh, to then just talk, talk, talk a little bit more life that I think we're all, uh, we all need to be talking a little bit more about, and hopefully we've got some yeah, man. to hear what you have to say. It was, uh, it was really, I, I'm so stoked to get to be on here. And it's been really great to, uh, to meet you even in two dimensions. And I, <laughs> you know, if you get a chance, come out to one of those shows, I'd love to hang out. Uh, yeah, yeah, for sure. For sure, man. Yeah. It, it's, uh, I'm so glad that we live in the same town and, and yeah, man. here it's, I've done a lot of remote, things with people that live in my zip code and, and, uh, yeah. <laughs> right. you know, and I'm, and I'm, 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 I'm kind of a, um, introvert. So it's like an opportunity for me to, to meet people. And, and I've just enjoyed so much. Um, I don't know, like you say, get outside your comfort zone and, and create it's, some of those experiences. It, it, it's been great, man. And what you're doing really is, is a service in itself. Like I said, I, I've got, I wish, I wish I would have dove into taking deep dives into artists uh, and musicians processes and, and where they're, why they're coming at stuff a certain way. And uh, uh, it's been super educational for me. And awesome. Um, and and uh, I, I just think it's great. I was so stoked to be a part of it. That's great. Well, we're we're honored to have you, man, as a part of this, this this narrative and and all the things. And you know, none of us had this information, but we have an opportunity to just you know, the technology allows us to to have this dialogue, like like yeah, or so like yeah. hey, let's do it. Uh, thank you so much for having. Yeah, me. Um, man, yeah. so nice to meet you here. Hopefully, we yeah. in person. Yeah. It's I, gonna uh, happen sometime. I, I, I hope to get a hang sooner than later, man. Really. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Cool. Thanks to Jim Riley again for connecting us. But, man, I'll cut you loose, and I'll be in touch with you soon. All right, dude. If you need anything else from me, man, just let me know. Awesome. Hey, Rob. Cool. Thanks, man. Have a great rest of your day. Really Bye. See you, man. So there you go, my conversation with Rob Rufus. Rob is an example of someone in our drumming community that lends his talents in so many different ways. And hopefully it's inspiring to anyone that is interested and finding other creative outlets to um, express themselves. And it's not only music, it's not only drums, but um, hopefully one benefits the other. 
I so encourage you to check out Rob's books. Uh, go on Amazon.com, look up Rob Rufus. I read his first book, and I, I couldn't put it down. Seriously, it's amazing. So our episode next week is what I like to call a hostful. It is Zach Albetta and myself sitting down, just turning the microphone on and catching up with each other, talking about uh, all the things that have been happening over the last year, the growth of the Drum Click Network that we've been a part of, and some things that are coming up with the podcast, uh, interactions with guests, interactions with uh, listeners. And uh, honestly, it's been a couple weeks and I don't remember all the things that we talked about. Zach's going to be editing this one down and uh, setting it up for a presentation. But I encourage you to uh, check that out. Uh, hopefully I don't say anything too incriminating, but uh, it was a lot of fun to catch up with him while he was in Nashville here one-on-one. So stay tuned for that. But for now, everyone, thanks so much for listening. Uh, stay safe. And as we like to say, stay sane. And I hope to see you around. Bye-bye.